Aaron, Paul, and Wayne. I'm Aaron. This is Paul. This is Wayne. Welcome back, Paul. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. How I we we hope that your uh, your time away was instructive, and that you have learned your lesson. <laughs> instructive, not constructive. <laughs> it is more important that i teach you a lesson than you actually learn a lesson fair fair um <laughs> no it was good i was in uh, kentucky last week uh just uh hitting the bourbons and the tr- uh and you know it's a, it's a different uh it's interesting right and i'm not here to get political uh especially on election week but you know it it was interesting to me how Kentucky is more shut down than Virginia, um, you know, given the red state versus blue state uh, stuff. Uh, it, but Virginia con- being a blue state, Kentucky being the red state? Correct. Okay. Uh, Virginia is way more open than Kentucky. Uh, you know, I found that when we went to Louisville, and understandably there's a lot of stuff going on in Louisville itself, it was like a ghost town. Which was very weird. Things were boarded, like buildings were boarded up, businesses were closed for the year, um, wow. you know, not reopening till next year, kind of stuff. It was, and it was, you know, we went to, on midday on a Tuesday, and usually, even right now during the pandemic, with many businesses doing work at home, a major metropolitan area still has foot traffic, right? Oh yeah, um, yeah. not at all. Well, I wonder, Paul, if it's an entire state thing or just a county. So, like here. You know, in St. Louis, St. Louis County has all of these restrictions and things are locked down and all the counties around it are the hold my beer counties where there's no restrictions and they look at you like you're a monster if you wear a mask. So it could very well be a county by county thing as well. You know, I got to say that that's true here in Texas because, you know, here in the Metroplex, which is a very urban, suburban sort of area. Uh, you know, and there's you know millions of people across the thirteen across the the two big counties. Uh, very very mask centric everywhere you go. Most everybody's wearing a mask. Mm-hmm. But you drive just twenty minutes outside of Fort Worth into Parker County. You know, when Suzanne and I went out there earlier in the summer, we were literally the only people in the county we saw wearing masks. Yeah. Everybody else, you know, was looking at us like, oh, city folk. <laughs> I think that's true of Virginia. Even even as a blue state, Virginia is a blue state only because we have Northern Virginia. That's the only reason Virginia is a blue state. <laughs> it's only because we have Northern Virginia right outside of DC. Um, but you know, we stayed closer to Lexington than Louisville. We just took that one day in Louisville, and Lexington was a you know that's where uh, yeah for for you whiskey fans, you bourbon fans, that's where places like Buffalo Trace, Wild Turkey, Woodford Reserve, Four Roses, all those are. And, um, you know, some of them are open for tastings or, you know, minimal tours, you know, virtual tours. Not even like you can't tour the factories in any of these places. Um, all of them have gift shops open. But, you know, it's it's a very limited experience. And another interesting variation between Virginia and um Kentucky is in Kentucky you are limited to I think one and three quarter or two ounces of liquor at a distillery because they don't serve food Um, whereas in Virginia you can have I think three so you know in Virginia I've always complained like you go to a distillery in Virginia it's like you're out in 45 minutes like here's your three ounces have you know have a couple of shots and leave 
Um, in Kentucky, it's even more restricted, which is weird because that's of weird. You think it'd be the other way around? Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, you would think that you hey, drink up. This is our, you know, this is our big export. <laughs> no, we went to a, a gin distillery, um, and I'm not a gin fan, but it was a beautiful distillery, and uh, you know. They they had a, they had a full on bar you know available I mean not that you sat at the bar you t- took your drinks and walked around the grounds um, right. but again like you were limited to two drinks and those were two not strong drinks right so you know, it, it's interesting have you ever been to Sonoma Mm-mm. so when we went to Sonoma several years back you can just drink all day long <laughs> <laughs> well and that's how they, DC they is right yeah you know I went yeah. to we went to a rum distillery in DC a few years back and DC's you know it's Five, there is five minutes between D.C. and Virginia. Um, and so I, you know, we went to the distillery. I'm like, eh, you know, we'll go. We'll be there like a half an hour and then we'll leave. Now, you can drink your face off in the capital yeah. of this country <laughs> with, yeah. without fail. It's same, same here in Missouri. We've got uh, big wine country out here. And, yeah, you drink as much as you want out there. I have a lot of friends that have gone and gotten the wine drunk. <laughs> well, you know... Uh, I, I was watching with interest your collection of, of bourbons that you brought home, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm, I'm eagerly awaiting the package that you're forwarding to me, Paul. Yeah, it's on its eagerly, way. Eagerly awaiting. I will send you one and three quarters ounce from each one of those bottles. <laughs> <laughs> I am, uh, I, yeah, I had a good time. I'm glad to be back. And, uh, you know, after a week away, no, regardless of where you are, a week away, you're like, I just want to get the fuck home. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and now I'm the fuck home, and uh, you know I, I will say I was very I, I almost bought I actually brought my fire stick with me, um, but I didn't need it because while I was there, Mando season two premiered. Yeah, and uh, you know now we're two episodes in. Aaron and I are caught up. We will try to keep this as spoiler white as possible. But I will say, uh, Wayne, you saw the first episode, right? Oh yeah. Okay, in the second episode. There's really nothing to spoil. It's very much a standalone episode. I I, I just got to say that I was delighted to see the frog lady. <laughs> the frog and, lady uh, was awesome. And it looks very much like the frog lady that I've imagined for my Empire Earth game. I uh, oh. I, I was I was delighted to see her. Well, and... did you know John Favreau was a big fan of your that Empire Earth uh, actual <laughs> place? <laughs> I did not know that. And now you know. Um, well, and the second episode was directed by, um, ah, damn, uh, Peyton Reed, the guy who d- did the Ant Man movies. Ah, cool. Well, I the uh, I I I loved how we kept seeing things through you know from Baby Yoda's uh, perspective. Little bastard. Um, I, <laughs> I got real tickled when he when he sees the frog lady. I'm like. Well, you know, he's got a history of eating frogs. <laughs> and then and then the her her big, you know, pickle jar of eggs show up. I'm like, oh, this is bad. This is bad. And, you know, I think the thing that just tickled me so much about him getting getting his hands stuck in the in the pickle jar throughout the episode was how much that's something that we would have done in one of our games, mm-hmm. you know, that somebody keeps sneaking the ladies eggs 
uh, you know, and, and munching down on them. I, I, it just really tickled me. And, and, you know, it felt like John Favreau was sitting at one of our gaming tables. It That's really it did. It, it was yeah. very much, you know, I will give this. So the second episode of Mando, I will say the first episode of Mando had like actual, you know, relation to things you're familiar with in the Star Wars universe, Tatooine, Boba Fett, um, Cobb Vanth, all that stuff. Right. But the second episode, very much standalone. Um, you know, the, the episode is about, the Mandalorian give you know um, transporting this frog lady who is bringing her eggs to a planet where um, her husband can fertilize them, right? And right. so you know that's that jar of eggs. And to your point, very much of this Empire Earth type scenario, mm-hmm. right? Like if if we had a crew up to and including like, the spiders, yeah, yeah, up to and including the spider the the spider ice planet, right? Like I could see yeah. Aaron saying, you know, you're the crew of whatever, you know, and and the razor crest and and you're transporting a frog lady with you know harv you know eggs that she needs to uh to fertilize and you crash land on an ice planet full of spider monsters and the clock is ticking and the clock is ticking (laughs) you know and someone inevitably you know the monkey guy is inevitably eating the eggs when the people aren't looking that was basically the second episode of mandalorian and I, i i will say despite it being a standalone episode you know not you know not continuity heavy not um, you know, heavy in the Star Wars lore. I liked it more than episode one. I, I won't say that I liked it more than episode one, but I, I will say that I, I just enjoyed the hell out of it. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it sounds like it's going to be a fun episode to watch. It is. It really is. It really is. And, you know, you, what I enjoyed so much about the episode, you know, beyond the, uh, the child moments, uh, was how, God damn it. Mandalorian was, <laughs> you know, there was without him using those words, there was a whole lot of God damn it. <laughs> he did say damn it, but he didn't say God damn it. <laughs> he's just very frustrated. And I find it remarkable how much Pedro Pascal can emote through the costume, mm-hmm. you know, and I, the, We are used to, in the Star Wars universe, Han Solo trying to bluff his way out of a scenario. And watching Mando try and do it was killing me. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, I don't think we don't have that hardware online over here. (laughs) 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 I was cracking up. I I, I found the episode delightful. I really did. did. There's a lot more humor than in the first episode. And I think what I liked about it is that, and don't get me wrong, the first episode was directed by Jon Favreau. I think the reason I liked it more is it had more humor. It had stronger, quicker pacing versus the first episode. Um, And I don't get me wrong. I am a Timothy Oliphant fan. I, but I don't have the man crush on Timothy Oliphant that the entire rest of the world seems to. Uh, <laughs> so I'm like, oh, that's cool. Timothy Oliphant's in it. Whereas everyone, like, we were watching it with some friends. Um, and the first, like, he shows up in the, the Boba Fett costume. And they're like, that's Raylan. I can tell by his walk. I'm like, yeah. what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> like, I've never Timothy Oliphant. Deadwood, so I had no idea who he was. Oh, Raylan's from Justified, but same same actor, different different yeah. characters. Apparently, yeah. he has a distinctive walk. <laughs> you know, and he does, and a distinctive voice. Yeah. He is also. Uh, my wife and I started watching this season of Fargo this week, and I didn't know that he was in Fargo. That was he really? Yeah, and it, it cracks me up because he's playing a U.S. marshal, uh, you know, chasing a bounty, and he is a Mormon U.S. marshal. And there is a scene where he just gets super frustrated and, you know, he doesn't swear, right? Cause he's Mormon 
And he's like, son of a biscuit. And I mean, he, he throws so much into son of a biscuit that, I mean, it transcends swearing. Right. I mean, I, I, I just loved how much venom was in son of a biscuit, but yet also hysterical at the same moment. Uh, I love Timothy Oliphant. He's, he's a great actor, but he does seem to have a niche of playing these kinds of characters. I think he's got a lot broader range than that, but you know, from justified to Deadwood to Mandalorian to Fargo, he he's really into this law enforcement, you know, Western sort of character that I deeply, deeply love. Yeah. I mean, he's yeah. definitely got a type, right? You know, yeah, he, he's absolutely. come a long way from being the, uh, the porn guy from uh, the girl next door. <laughs> <laughs> porn guy. Yeah. yeah. Looking through his IMDb, He's been on one or two episodes of shows I've seen, but I've never watched anything he was a star in. I had no idea who he was other than everyone was going nuts about him being on the show. I cannot recommend Justified enough. It is it is a series. I think I've probably watched it all the way through four times now. He is remarkable in that and uh, the writing is terrific. I I just if you like any kind of western even though it's a modern story, uh, there is a Western element to it. Uh, I, I highly recommend Justified. I mean, I, I think all I have done in the you know decade that we've done this show is talk about Justified. Huh. I super recommend it. I have seen the first season. I just you know, it, and everyone's like, "Well, no, it gets more epi- it gets more serialized after the first season." Because I found the first season very episodic, and I'm like, eh, it, "It's just like a police procedural, you know." Just yeah, in it, it changes from that. It switches over in the second season. Yeah. All right. Well, thank we, we welcome to the Timothy Oliphant Appreciation Podcast. It's Timothy Oliphant with Aaron Paul. <laughs> <laughs> well, was Timothy Oliphant in this week's finale of Young Justice? Who? You know, <laughs> I feel like it would be better <laughs> if it was. Apparently, it would yes. have been. I it would have made for a much better read. I, I will tell you that. Um, I'm going to let you go, Wayne. All right. Um, so this is the last issue of this Young Justice series. So, you know, you'd expect storylines to wrap up, some sort of big events to happen, maybe. And nope, nothing, nothing that happened. Well, you know, the 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 story felt like it was doing something. And it was almost like Bendis got word that the series was ending two pages before the before he finished writing the book. Yeah, honestly, it felt like of issue one. Yeah. It set up a new status quo for the team and a new base and set up a potential storyline with a Green Lantern. It did not end a series. It was, like I said, it really felt like it was a first issue of a series. Yeah. Uh, You know, it's sad that they gave the Wonder Wonder Comics all to one writer um, because I think all of the Wonder Comics share the same flaw, and all of those are coming from Bendis. Don't get me wrong, Bendis is a fantastic writer. But he has tried something here under the Wonder Comics imprint, you know, with Young Justice, Naomi, um, Wonder Twins, and they all they all have the same stink on them. And it's this wildly decompressed storytelling that I thought we were over and done with um it is you think we're going to handle something in the book and the characters just wind up chasing something else i mean it's just it it's always so chaotic it is always you know uh we're 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 all talking at the same time which you know 
every now and again when you see everybody talking at the same time, that's a nice thing to see. But when you when it's almost every panel, it drives me crazy. I mean, it's the same thing he's doing in Legion of Superheroes that's annoying the hell out of me. Um, I think that the the Wonder Comics was a big opportunity to tell these stories of these younger characters um, and really sort of reestablish them. I was looking forward to Young Justice, and there are some characters here I care a lot about. Ginny Hex, I absolutely adore. Uh, yeah, the, he, he put back Tim and Spoiler. You know, yeah. those are two characters. I love it when they're in a relationship. And we gave us back Connor Kent and... Yeah, I mean, he he did some of the right things, right? I mean, uh, he brought us he bringing Connor Kent back is what brought me into this book. Um, but we never really get to explore a lot of that. In fact, a lot of what's explored about Connor Kent happens over in the Superman book, also a Bendis joint. Yeah, one um, of the things I've wanted to know since we first saw him is what is the deal with this kid Green Lantern? Yeah, you know the kid Lantern. Where is his? this gear he has that taps into the green lantern battery what's the deal with that that was never answered and a big part of this issue was just bringing the issue up again and then utterly ignoring it yeah yeah and and delaying it right so we'll we'll i guess find out more about that in another in another book i don't know how much notice he had that this series was ending um so i don't know how much of this is him versus you know the boss saying, Hey, you're done. Yeah. yeah. I, agree. I I think yeah. that's the case. I think it's, I don't think he had much notice uh, because it, when we watched um, DC fandom, you know, he talked about, he has years of plans for Superman and like a week later, they're like, Bendis ends his magical run on Superman this December. And I'm like, yeah. Oh, or three months. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I don't think that, I mean, Bendis has not done for DC what he did for Marvel. Um, and I, and I think I think some of that is the overhype of a star. Don't get me wrong. I, 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 I Bendis is a is a tremendously talented writer, but I think that he sometimes lets style override his his substance. You know the 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 quality of his art, and I think that's what we saw here in Wonder Comics. I I feel like I, I enjoyed the first what six issues of Naomi, but the here he had 20 issues of young justice and i don't feel like he accomplished much other than introduce uh some characters that i'm fascinated by but i'm ready for somebody else to handle them yeah i've said it a few times with the businesses run not the case here but like on the superman stuff he's it's not that he's doing a bad job telling a bad story or any of that he's just telling a story i don't want to read Mm-hmm. But when you actually read him, he has the characters down. He has the voices. His characterizations are perfect. He's just not telling stories that are appealing to me in most of his runs. And the other thing I've noticed he does is he's got to bring all of his books back together. Yep. So like you get to the end of this and you've got there's Naomi and there's the Wonder Twins. He's got to bring all of them together. Yeah, I, I it's frustrating. And I think that that he needs it's almost like he needs some some tighter editing right he needs somebody who's like no no <laughs> we're not going to tell that story in 20 issues we're going to tell that story in four you know i mean I, some of this stuff just spools way out of control and this is the danger right is that you get canceled before you're done telling your story yeah i mean this issue is a typical issue you would have between two major story arcs mm-hmm. when you need a downtime issue that just 
it doesn't do anything, just kind of a decompression after a major story arc, but before another. Unfortunately, we didn't have a major story arc right before this. We had another issue that was a down issue, but... Well, and, you know, something I was puzzled by, and, and of course, I'm sh- maybe this is a mystery that he was going to address later on, is that this is the first issue where Red Tornado shows up in Young Justice, and Red Tornado is just sort of... Um, you know, archived as a security bot there at the Justice League cave. But in uh, earlier post-rebirth books, Red Tornado is uh, linked into what all that stuff that was going on with uh, the rebirth event and, you know, was all jacked up and whatnot. I don't understand why they would, why just, why the Justice League would assign the Red Tornado robot as some sort of, you know, low-level sentry for the Justice League cave. And I don't get that. Yeah, because it's not it. like they assigned him to the kids to watch over him or anything. Right. He was just there watching the cave. Right. And I'm not sure that, you know, the kids saying, hey, we were authorized to use the cave isn't, you know, a, a holdover from a prior universe. I don't, I'm not sure that that, I think that was why Green Lantern, when uh, Jon Stewart shows up, uh, why he was puzzled by that, because I think that's maybe a memory from a prior universe. Um, but still, it just bothered me the discontinuity between what we've seen earlier in this iteration of DC continuity about Red Tornado versus what we saw in this book. I found this book frustrating, I, I guess is a long way for me to say say it. And I just, you know, I don't know what the plans are for these characters. Uh if there are any plans for these characters. So anyway, Paul, you didn't miss anything. This was, this was no bueno, but uh, let me tell you, I can't say the same of this week's issue of Thor. I got to tell you, I'm a big fan of what happened in this issue. Holy crap. Did I love this issue? And I didn't see it coming and I should have seen it coming. Now same here. It caught me completely off guard. I thought we were getting ready for one story arc. And this is completely a different story. Yeah. Well, and here's the thing. So leading into this issue, we had a very lighthearted story arc, like where, you know, Thor's hammer, basically anyone can lift it, you know. And so he he, he comes across a gentleman who says, you know, when I have a problem, sometimes I just reset it. And Thor's like, it's not a bad idea. And so, you know, it, it was set up for the return of Donald Blake, who I guess has really literally been, you know, stuck in his alternate reality uh all this time and you know i kind of thought it would be a fun donald blake romp um you know while while thor kind of took a a break for a little bit and so you have this introduction that shows donald blake when thor is when 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 donald blake is thor um donald blake goes to kind of this pocket universe where it's eternal unchanging you know bright shiny sunshiny paradise where he just walks down the neighborhood he doesn't need his cane he's just you know friendly with the neighbors and he just has this happy universe and no sense of time no sense of time yeah he doesn't know how long he's actually there and you know because donald blake you know it's been a very long time since we've seen donald blake in marvel continuity last time right like it's been years yeah and so uh you know apparently the this, you know, little slice of limbo for Donald Blake has gone horribly, horribly wrong. 
<laughs> and and to your point, you know, you know, you ex- you expect this sort of fun romp of Thor wandering around the world in his in his human guise. Uh, this thing turns into really kind of a horror story, uh, you know, with Donald Blake being a mass murderer. <laughs> yeah, you know, because he's killed everyone in this little world, and he's turned it into his own little personal hell. Uh, I, I was I was fascinated by this book and you know when you see uh you know evil dr blake uh <laughs> come out you know in his uh in his you know black leathers and you know spiky garment you know uh crazy homeless beard and hair uh that's i i was shocked i mean i, I thought this was just mm-hmm. a story extremely well told yeah i love loki's reaction to him loki is really good in this book i like mm-hmm. this uh kind of new take on loki and one thing i'm appreciating we're seeing thor as a king is trying to be more manipulative he's Mm -hmm. trying to come up with these big plans these you know puppet master type things and he's really bad at it and Loki he tries it on loki and loki just calls him out on it and lays out his entire plan for him i really appreciated that because i like the fact that he's not good at it that's never been Thor's strong point is manipulation or lying or, you know, these big, long plans. You know, in addition to, you know, I don't want to give all the credit to Donny Cates because Donny Cates, you know, he, he's writing the hell out of this book. But Nick Klein, mm-hmm. there are, you know, there, there's at the beginning of the book, the introduction, there's uh, kind of this three page introduction to Donald Blake as he walks down the street Um you know, and it introduces us to what that you know that universe or neighborhood is, right? And it, that's paradise, supposedly paradise. And they revisit those exact same three pages yeah. drawn differently later on in the book. The same exact three pages, just horrified. Yeah, um, and it is so so effective at telling yeah. the story and and doing the shock um, of the of the moment. I I absolutely loved this book. Book of the week for me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and the, the last page, and I'm not going to spoil the last page, but the the last page of this book is probably the best last page of a book I've read all year. I mean, because didn't see it coming. Yeah. Did not I, see it coming. This whole book was a didn't see it coming. And yeah. that's the really good cliffhanger. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they did. They, they really, you know, they, they really, you know, uh, set us up. On this book, between the the last two issues, the lighthearted issues, then the cover of this book, and you know, and then you get to page, um, you know, digital page thirteen, and it's like, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, oh, this is the story we're telling. <laughs> yeah, yeah, S- super yeah, effective. I this was going to be something effective. else. That that yeah. early, well, not early, but, you know, very much a contender for holy shit moment of the year, depending on uh, you know revisiting this. The, the books of the um the year this is definitely up there yeah a uh, big recommendation here I you know I, I I know our friend Tim jumped off Thor some time ago I, I hope that he's he is picking up this current run because it is just terrific well yeah. maybe Tim should also pick up us agent because you guys picked it up Ooh. Um, <laughs> Ooh. I, I saw the cover I, well it's funny because I totally forgot you I mean that's not a book that I look for right you know it's not right. like like oh I'm looking for a U.S. agent, you know, in the comicsology list. And so when Aaron said, oh, there's a new U.S. agent book coming out, I was like, oh, you'll be my canary in the coal mine. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, I think Canary the only died. person. Yeah, I think the only person that hated U.S. Agent more than us was the author. Yeah. Because you can tell as he writes this that it, the entire book is one big, you know, treat the character like a joke and insult him. Yeah. And that's exactly what what happened here. Uh, you know, the, the book is written by Priest uh, with, I think, some really nice artwork by Jorge Janti. Uh, but the 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 writer, Priest, does not does not treat U.S. agent with any affection. Um, you know, it's OK to to demonstrate that a character's shortcomings but he really shows that U.S. Agent has no really redeeming qualities, not as you know, we're used to seeing in West Coast Avengers that, you know, certainly he did not demonstrate the same competence and moral code as Captain America. Right. But he was at least, you know, strong, um, generally effective, at least, you know, along along uh, lower level criminals and whatnot. But he in he was never book, defeated by a pizza guy. Yeah. Well, and one of the things I note is that one of the choices that uh, uh, I, I think it's Georges uh, Janti uh, makes is to not fill out the costume. You know, the you know U.S. agent just looks like a guy wearing wearing a you know a U.S. agent costume. He doesn't look like you know the, a a great big you know muscle bound ripped guy the way Jean, John Byrne would have uh, drawn him. Yeah, he looks um, like a cosplayer. Yeah. And I don't object to that. I mean, I, I, I think it's kind of nice to see, you know, characters who are, you know, just look like they're wearing clothes. But he is incompetent throughout the book. He is not smart in the book. Um, he's not even really the hero of his own story in the book. I mean, he's just not not at all living any kind of, of best life or even trying to achieve that. And there is no... There is, there is nowhere I found in the book where I felt like the writer or the character had any appreciation for U.S. Agent. No, and, and the universe, because he is sent specifically to be a failure. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. something where at least if S.H.I.E.L.D. would have recognized him and, you know, said that this is a guy that's done something in the past for us. But no, he's sent specifically picked to go on the mission to be a failure. Yeah. Yeah, I just I, I strongly dislike this book, and I was actually kind of looking forward to it because you know I've always kind of loved to hate U.S. Agent, and this guy was so pathetic. I I didn't want anything to do with this book. So here's yeah, my concern my... about what you're saying. You know, U.S. Agent is um, a pretty big character in the upcoming Falcon and Winter Soldier mm -hmm. uh, series coming to Disney Plus, played by Wyatt Russell, who who I mm -hmm. quite enjoy. You know, he he very much looks like a young version of his father. Um, and so I was kind of excited about that casting. And now I'm concerned that, you know, th this book is indicative of the type of character we're going to get from that series. I hope not. Yeah, I, I this book was terrible. And it does nothing to, in my opinion, bring on new readers or new fans of the character. Um, I, I can't imagine a new reader coming into this going, man, I got to get issue two because this was terrible. There was, there was nothing enjoyable about this book. I can't pull. I mean, I was mildly amused about the collection of pizza guys he had in his basement. Uh, but that's the only thing I can say that I was amused by or that I enjoyed in the book. Everything else, I was just like, I, I don't care for this. Yeah, I compare it to when Jeff Johns did the Aquaman run. Mm -hmm. And in that first issue, you see how the universe sees him as a joke. Mm -hmm. But Johns nailed it. He 
you know, he actually showed how effective he is and he countered all of that. And while the universe saw Aquaman as a joke, you actually got to like the character and you could see how strong the character was. This was missing that whole half of that formula. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I, this book was awful, Paul. It really was just just terrible. Well, good. I'm glad. I didn't, well, not good for you guys. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't purchase it. Yeah. So if you want, we can go back and talk about Thor some more because uh, <laughs> this was just, just awful. But, you know, a, a book that you jumped out of, Paul. Yes, sir. That I, 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 uh, I hope you'll come back to maybe when it's collected is The Rise of Ultraman. Uh, issue number three came out this week. And I got to tell you, I dug this book a lot. Wayne, what'd you think of Ultraman? Yeah, same here. And we actually get to see Ultraman more in this book. Yeah. I can see why Paul jumped off. I mean, pacing wise, the pacing was probably not what he was looking for. We weren't seeing the main character, but it's a five issue miniseries. So I was on board to keep going. And this issue was basically everything I was waiting for. Yeah, it, lots of uh, of kaiju action in this one with Ultraman uh, whooping down on him. A lot still. I mean, here we are in issue three, and still lots of unanswered questions and more questions being asked. Uh, I, I I I really dig the you know, Ultraman talking in uh, in the ear of our hero. You know, because, you know, it's kind of the, the the Ultraman character in this book reminds me a lot of the way Rick Jones was bonded to Captain Marvel back in the yeah, day. I can and see that. and so you've got, you know, uh, Ultraman, who is, you know, not cor- corporeal at the moment, you know, talking in the in the uh, the main character's ear and his name is all of a sudden uh, lost to me. But, uh, you know, so you're getting a lot of that kind of stuff. I I just I'm really getting a kick out of the way this story is being told. And something that I I found really interesting about this issue is that there was no back matter this time. There was none of the, you know, uh, we didn't get like a, a uh, Mike Cho story at the end of the book. We didn't get uh, any of the uh, little, you know, PSAs that, that they had from, from the, uh, from the you know kaiju defense force or whatever it is, uh, it this was just all twenty two pages of Ultraman goodness. I dug it. I dug this yeah. book a great well, deal. And Aaron, you mentioned that they, you know, they're in each other's heads. One thing I really appreciated is that Ultraman doesn't have all the answers. Right. A lot of times when you do something like this in a storyline, you have the alien being that's in the person's head is all-knowing or is super intelligent and basically knows what to do in every situation uh-huh he doesn't and he well, is deferring to him about earth culture because he doesn't know you know anything about earth culture well and to your point you know there's the there's the scene where we're talking to the head of the defense force and he's kind of weaselly you know, you, you as a reader, you're thinking, eh, I don't think this guy's dealing, you know, straight with us. And, you know, he's making his point in Ultraman saying saying in the guy's head, hey, he makes a good point here. You know, <laughs> yeah. that's fair. You know, and I'm like, you know, you don't often see that in books where there's that inner dialogue about, well, I, I guess this guy could be right. Yeah. Um, so he's I not like an unbending that. character. He's yeah. able to change his mind. I'm really appreciating that about it because it's not something you see often. 
Yeah. Yeah. Or even in society these days. True. <laughs> uh, Kyle Higgins and uh, and Matt Groom are doing a terrific job in the writing on this book. And I'm really enjoying the uh, Francesco Mana artwork. Uh, the, I, I just, I'm, I'm digging Ultraman. I, I like the way they're, they're giving me my Ultraman. Uh, and I, I hope that we wind up with an ongoing series at the other end of this. Yeah. I mean, I don't know why I gave up on it. I just, I mean, it was for me, I think it was the pacing, but maybe I'll jump back in. Um, you know, I was, I guess I was hoping that I would get my, my Kaiju fix from Boom Studios Mighty Morphin number one. Uh, you know, so Boom Studios is relaunching their Power Rangers titles. They're they're do- with a uh, number one this week and a number one next week. This week was Mighty Morphin. Next week is Power Rangers. I don't know the difference between the books, um, but it'll be two 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 titles. You know, very much connected. And I also I don't know why I got a bug up my ass to pick it up because I've never been a Mighty Morphin Power Rangers fan. It's a concept <laughs> that I would love. You know, because I loved Ultraman growing up and Kamen Rider and things like that. I, I like the con- I like the idea of them, but I was never a Mighty Morphin Power Rangers fan. And you know, I was I'm probably just a few years removed from that being my shit because my brother loved it. Um, right. So I picked yeah, up I Mighty Morphin. Really number Really surprised that you picked it up, Paul. Thought I'd give it a shot. I, I don't know why, but I did. I, I could, I could say this was a horrible issue for you to pick up for your first issue. Yes, <laughs> right. I was like, wow, and, this is shit. <laughs> well, here's the biggest problem with it for me when I went through it because I knew that you were going to be reading it for the first time. There's no reason for this to be a number one issue. No, this is the next issue of the storyline, and it doesn't give you any of the back end. There are all these characters that were never on the TV show for people for fans of the TV show. There's all of this history that is from the run to lead up to this. And they name drop names and they talk about things that are big deals in this storyline. And none of it is new reader friendly. Yeah, this is you far have from to... a reboot, right? Like I thought it would be, I, I, did, I, I didn't, I don't need it to be completely removed from prior continuity, but I thought it would be a good jumping on point. And it's not, it's really not. Yeah, like the big reveal of uh, Skull's girlfriend. That was huge for me because they've been building her up in the regular series for, you know, over a year. And I really liked her character. That meant nothing to you because you've never seen her before this issue. Yeah. I didn't care for it. I mean, just admittedly, I didn't care for it. Uh, you know, I thought I'd give it a shot. It had a beautiful, beautiful cover. The art inside the book, um, you know, I, I, it was I don't know. too busy. It's too busy. It, and I, I had that same issue with, I think it was Power Rangers meets Ninja Turtles. They had a crossover. Um, and I, I think I had the same issue, that the art is just too busy. You know, but it, there's already a lot of characters, right? There's already giant monsters and stuff like that. But the art is just so busy. And I'm like, whoa, okay. Like, between the coloring, all the characters, it's just, like, way too much going on on the page. Um, I, I really just didn't care for it. Yeah, I did not think it was a good issue. And it definitely was a horrible first issue. You know, knowing that you were reading this as your first issue, it was, I don't think I've ever read a worse first issue because it really was the next issue of the previous series without any sort of setup, any backstory. There wasn't even a blurb in the front to bring you up to date with what's been going on. Yeah. And I guess, I don't know. if they, if like you said, this was just going to be a continuation of the series, and they just decided to, um, you know, launch two titles, two new number ones, bring in some additional sales, whatever. Um, I guess there's 
This other book is going to be uh, called Power Rangers, but it's going to follow the Omega Rangers, Jason, Trini, and Zach. Uh, I don't know. It, it, it's not my jam. I, I you know I thought I'd give it a shot. I you know I pick up these Power Rangers things every once in a while because it's a concept that is that you know little Paul would have loved. Uh, <laughs> but you know it yeah. just uh, it just doesn't connect with me. No, I've been a super fan of the book. I've really enjoyed what they've done, and I didn't like this issue. And I also thought it was a horrible first issue. Yeah. Hey, Paul. Yes, sir. What's coming out next week? Well, in addition to Power Rangers number one, like I just mentioned, uh, Boom Studios will also be releasing issue four of Seven Secrets, a book that we have all enjoyed and very much looking to the fourth, forward to the fourth issue. It seems to come out so quickly. That makes me happy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, from DC Comics, we have the new we have a, a one shot written by James Tinian the Fourth and Sam Johns of Punchline. Uh, for you know, I, I know you guys are not Punchline fans. I will very likely pick it up. Um, oh, I'm picking it up, Paul. Okay, well then we have two people reading Punchline the, one shot. The only thing I enjoyed about the end of that uh, Joker War storyline was that epilogue of her. Well, there you go. Well, and from Marvel Comics, we have new issues of Iron Man, even though I think we all said we were out on Iron Man, so yeah, no worries about that. Uh, but we also get new issues of Strange Academy and the Warhammer 40K book. Uh, as well, I don't know about that 40K book. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I, I'm going to pick up the second issue, because especially if Andrew's on. Um, yeah. And the first issue of a Taskmaster limited series written by Jed McKay and with art by Alessandro Vitti, who was uh, the know, artist on Secret Warriors years back. I got to tell you, you know, back, what was it, the initiative? Uh, I really enjoyed Taskmaster. Oh, the Avengers, uh, and he was, the Avengers Academy, I think? Yeah, well, yeah. Avengers Academy, thank you. Uh, I really enjoyed Taskmaster in those pages. And Taskmaster is one of my favorite characters from back when I was a kid. Mm. I mean, I always loved, you know, when the Avengers went up against Taskmaster. Yeah. So... Uh, and I even I, I recall enjoying that miniseries that uh, he had a couple of years back. Yeah, I remember it had such a sad ending. It did. It did. Yeah, you know, where he you know couldn't remember stuff. Uh, yeah, so I uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I, I'm I check hope that, that one out. I hope it looks good. Well, and the final book that I want to mention uh, is uh, uh, from Aftershock Comics. It's called Miskatonic Number One, um, and the writer of it is Mark Sable, who is that's a name I haven't heard in, in quite Why, that, a few years. A long yeah. time, yeah. Um, you know, it, it is uh, kind of a, a mystery book uh, set in the 1920s during the Red Scare of the mm. 1920s. Mm. Obviously, you know, Lovecraftian mm. and historical crime mm. fiction kind of combined. Seems totally my jam. I'm going to check it out. Yeah, I, I'm down for that. Yeah, I'll check that out with you, Paul. Awesome. Very good. Well, hey, we'd love to know what you thought about this week's books. Give us a call at 972-763-5903. That number, once again, 972-763-5903. And if we use your voicemail on the air, you could win a coveted, valuable Ideology of Madness surprise. And you know, Paul. Yes, sir. I went to the post office yesterday and was sending out some of the aforementioned uh, surprises. And uh, I asked them at the post office, hey, where do you keep the ballots? <laughs> they did not find that amusing. They did not. At all. <laughs> at all. I wonder why. And my wife, you know, warned me. She said, you know, one of these days you're going to make one of those funny, re one of those remarks you think that's so funny. And then some people are just going to come and take you away. <laughs> <laughs> 
She's going to report you. I think that's what she's threatening. Well, I think what she, what she is concerned about is the Postmaster General's secret police. Yeah. <laughs> very, you know, very much. They'll put me in the same place where they're keeping the ballots. Just <laughs> well, and if you want to report, Aaron, you can do so on social media. <laughs> I-O-M Geek on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Or you can hit us up on our OnlyFans page. No, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> I-O-M Geek, OnlyFans.com slash Wayne. That's where uh, we get to see that the carpet does indeed match the drapes in all the pictures that, that uh, Wayne shows. All right, guys. I am looking forward to talking about Miskatonic next week with you guys and uh, maybe a couple of other books. Let's do it all over again. See you then. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast.